is he our delight every moment of every day through everything that we go through I'm going to read Romans 8:28. it's a very familiar verse and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose do we believe that when the worst of circumstances happen in our lives do we believe that that all things work together I'm going to share a philosophy of life that is my philosophy that I've lived by all my life and it's got me through storms nothing can happen to me that God doesn't allow and if he allows it it will be for my good and for his glory we can't control the things that happen but if we trust Jesus like we've sang about we can have control over how we react to what happens to us because of Holy Spirit who lives within us let's go to the Lord in prayer Father God, we sing of your praises. We sing of your goodness. And Father, another verse in that same chapter says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing created can separate us from the love of God. But Father, I ask this morning for each of us here sitting who know you, that we not allow circumstances in our life to cause our heart to grow cold toward you. Your love is always there. The only time it is blocked is when we have blocked it because we won't receive it. So, Father, this morning, I ask that you help us to rest in the arms of Jesus through every trial that we go through. And Father, there's some sitting here, they're not going through any real trials right now. Enjoy this mountaintop. Don't look around you and think, gee, I wonder why nothing's happening to me. Rejoice in where God has you at this time. Rejoice on the mountaintop, rejoice in the valley, rejoice always. Learn to know that God is always present. And he wants to get through to us. You know, when you're, when you're at your lowest, God wants to say, look to me. Father, help us that when our circumstances look dim, that we don't look from our perspective, but we look from yours. The world is much bigger than we are. And Father, it is all about you. It is all about your glory. You sent your son to say, you are mine. That love, there is no love like it. The love of God can help us to love the unlovable, love the unforgivable, and be at peace in the spite of any circumstance that the enemy may throw at us. So this morning as Tim comes, Father, I don't know what the sermon's about, but you do. And Lord, I pray, give him words, give him wisdom. And Father, not just give it to him, but as he speaks, may your Holy Spirit empower those words to reach our heart as you intend them to reach our heart. Father, let us lay everything before you. And let us say, 
not my will, but thine be done. And may I glorify you in everything I do. In Jesus' holy and precious name, the Son of God, the Son of Abba, our Father. Amen. Amen. Well, kids, I'm going to have you sit tight again this week, and uh, we have another um, child dedication that I'm going to ask the families to come up and join me on stage for, and kids, sit tight for a minute, and we'll get you up to your classes uh, in just a few minutes. We have the Mathis family and the Alt family will join me on stage um, this morning. And just a reminder, um, we did this last week, but this is an important thing we do in the life of the church because we believe that um, the best scenario for a child to grow up is to grow up within a loving family that points them to Christ, that partners with a loving church family that encourages parents and encourages the child. And so in a few minutes, after I introduce the families and the children, you all as the congregation are going to make a couple of commitments to the children and to the parents as well as they make their commitments publicly in front of you. So we'll start over here. This is um, Jimmy and Kayla Mathis and Miss Amelia Rose Mathis over here. And um, Jimmy and Kayla are fairly new to our church. Um, they're, they're new members or some of our newest members here. And uh, they've brought Amelia to be dedicated. Joining them this morning are um, Kayla's parents, Larry and Kathy Dunn, here this morning with them. And they asked me to read 1 Samuel 1, 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. That is um, from the passage where um, Samuel's mother is praying and dedicating him before the Lord, which gives us a good pattern of how we dedicate our children and give our children back to God. They are gifts from God that we are then called to give back to him in in service to him. So this is the Mathis family, Jimmy, Kayla, and Miss, Miss Amelia Rose. Over here. Miss Astrid Oakley Alt, and she's asleep, so I'm going to try not to be too loud over here. But this is um, Daniel and Rochelle and little Astrid. And um, with Daniel and Rochelle and Astrid are uh, Rochelle's parents, Randy and April, as well as uh, Rochelle's siblings, Alexis, Joseph, and Megan, and Megan's family as well. And they asked me to read from Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verses 23 through 27. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. And so, I'm going to start by uh, asking uh, Jimmy and Kayla and Daniel and Rochelle over here to simultaneously make their commitments to God in your presence. And uh, I'm going to ask them two questions, and you guys, the four of you, will just, um, after I read the questions, you just simultaneously say, we will, and two questions for them, and then I'll turn to you guys, and you do the same thing. Two questions for you, and you respond with, we will. Okay, parents, will you raise your children in a way that encourages them to know God and love him with all their heart, soul, and might. Parents, will you commit to partner with this body of believers by encouraging your children to engagement with other believers for teaching, encouragement, and service? Now church, this is your part. 
Will you commit to these parents to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them as they seek to fulfill their commitments to their children? Now, church, will you commit to these children to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them to know God, love him, and follow him? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these two families. Thank you for the gift of, of young life in a young family. And uh, God, we praise you for Miss Amelia Rose and for Jimmy and Kayla as her parents and the great gift they have um, of having her in their lives and in their family. We pray for her continued health, development, and growth. We pray that you would be with Jimmy and Kayla as they um, love her, care for her, and point her towards you. And uh, we, we echo with them this prayer of thanksgiving from Hannah in regard to her son, um, Samuel, that for this child they have prayed and you have granted their petition. And so, God, now we pray that for Amelia, you would use her and bless her. You would um, fill her with your presence at an early age, uh, help her to know and understand the gospel. May she believe in you and respond to the gospel follow you with her life, and give Jimmy and Kayla wisdom as they navigate the road of parenting to point her in the right way to go. And Father, for the alts, we pray the same uh, for little Astrid. We pray your strength in Daniel and Rochelle as they learn how to be parents, as they grow in their love for each other, and as they uh, know what it means to, to love and parent a little girl. And God, we pray for your wisdom over them in that task. We pray that from Astrid's heart would truly flow um, everything good and righteous and pure. That, Father, you would, at a young age, save her by your grace through the work of your Spirit, cause her to fall in love with you and the gospel and respond, and out of her heart would flow rivers of, of, um, of life, and uh, that she would honor and glorify you in all of her days, and that, um, Father, for both of these little girls, for both of these families, keep their paths straight, bless them, Father, uh, may these girls build your kingdom, and we pray for good relationships, as it's sweet to, to um, dedicate babies together, we pray that these babies will grow up and um, into young women that honor you, that encourage each other, and uh, that iron would sharpen iron as the young people, the young generation of this church, love you and serve you and honor you in all of their ways. And so, God, now as the, the older kids go off to their classes, God, we pray your blessing over them. We pray your blessing over every teacher in every classroom this morning. We pray that those young hearts and minds would be prepared to hear, respond to the gospel and your word, that they would be built up and encouraged in your word and in the love of Christ. And in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Okay, so kids, now you guys can be dismissed. That's uh, three years old through the fifth grade. Go ahead and make your way upstairs to your classrooms. And parents, um, if they're not checked in, you can go up there with them to uh, check them in in the lobby. Lots going on in the life of the church uh, today and throughout the coming weeks. Um, it's spring. It feels a lot better. It was cold last week. It feels pretty good today. Um, we had our, our yard sale yesterday, which was a great success. So thank you to everybody that participated, whether you brought stuff, whether you shopped, whether you organized, sold, whatever. We are pushing 
We're, we're real close to having a, a net um, gain of $4,000. And I'm not going to tell you the exact number because I want somebody to feel led to give a little bit more towards the yard sale, a little bit more towards that Romania trip to get us over the line of $4,000. But we are just about $4,000, which is a successful yard sale. And so thanks to Stephanie Houston and the team that put that together, all the youth helpers, that will go to benefit um, youth trips over the summer. So the biggest one, the biggest need, which is going to be about $35,000, is our Romania mission trip that will be a combination of adults and youth that will go on that trip. But the youth have some other trips planned, so we have some other youth that will be raising money as well. So please pray for them and prayerfully consider how you could further support particularly that $35,000 need of the Romania trip. Um, tonight is going to be our Family Matters uh, legal seminar where you can come, and this is really tailored to young families is the intention tonight, but any age can come, and you can invite people. We want this to be a service to our community, and you will learn about how to make a will, about the right steps, wisdom in, in life decisions of organizing your family and your family legal situation. Um, kids that come will be able to join in with our kids' ministry. So if you're already normally a part of that, great. But if you have some, some extended family that would want to come or some friends that would want to come, their kids will be well taken care of through our normal um, kids' ministry this evening. Please invite people, come bring somebody with you so that we can build greater connections uh, with our community. Um, and on that same note is our Easter um, weekend coming up in just a couple of weeks. We have a Good Friday service on Friday evening. That's at 6 o'clock on April the 7th. Easter is April the 9th. And for Easter weekend, we will have um, two services. We'll have our sunrise service. We did this last year with um, two other churches in our neighborhood, Doug Gap Baptist, Grace Presbyterian Church, and ourselves, we did a joint Easter sunrise service. We will do that again. It'll start at 6.45 a.m. out at, um, at Grace Presbyterian Church, right around the corner. And then our normal service will be here at, at 10.30, our Easter service. So please make plans uh, for that. There's other things going on. Um, that very weekend, we have a uh, Messianic Seder um, meal that we're... That, um, uh, that is being hosted here, 7 o'clock on Saturday the 8th. And so if you want to learn more about how the, uh, the Old Covenant points to Christ and how the Passover points to Christ and how um, throughout that Passover ritual where, where the Jews would, would celebrate and remember what Yahweh had done to free um, the nation from slavery, how that uh, explicitly points to Jesus in ways that were not seen for generations um, come and learn more and engage with that process together. Um, other things going on in your, uh, your weekly email update you'll see, in the little half-sheet bulletin that you'll see, there's lots of stuff going on. I want to tell you about another thing, too. You know, this evening we have this Family Legal Matters um, seminar, and then after Easter, from April the 16th until May 7th, we're going to be doing a four-week seminar, four parts, um, on reimagining marriage. And the goal of that series is to look at the fact that, really, we have all sorts of visions of what marriage should be, can be, or maybe won't be. And some of those times, the, those visions are skewed. The expectations get skewed. What we want to do is we want to serve our church. We want to serve our community. But by looking at God's definition of marriage, 
and looking at the beautiful possibilities of what marriage can be. Because some marriages suffer from the fairy tale expectations. Everything's supposed to be perfect, and then they, they can't live and survive under those expectations. And some marriages suffer under these low expectations of thinking, well, I'll just, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, we'll never understand each other, we'll never be able to communicate, and we just got to live and let live. And uh, God's picture of oneness in marriage is better, is better than both of those. And uh, that's what we want to do in those four Sunday nights, April 16th through May the 7th. That's, again, something we want to serve our community with. So feel free to invite people to, um, and we'd love to, to serve you and serve the community by ministering to marriages together. Um, last announcement I need to make. Um, we will receive the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today. And anytime we receive the Lord's Supper, we also take up an offering. And typically, we take up the offering for our own Samaritan ministry, our Samaritan fund. We're not going to do that today. We're going to take up an offering that goes towards the missions project that we promoted to you a month ago in our missions conference. And this is actually the final weekend to give towards that missions project. You can give, you can give the rest of the day, today, and tomorrow online, but we're going to try to close that fund and send that to the Jesus Film Project. That project is going to go to fund the broadcast of the Jesus Film over Easter weekend on multiple television stations throughout Turkey, in all the major cities in Turkey. Um, Turkey is an area that has been devastated recently by earthquakes, and that it, there is a great gospel need and when there is a great physical need and a great gospel need that intersects, that's a great opportunity for the church to step in with the truth of the gospel. And so there are other organizations that are partnering with the Jesus Film to follow up locally, to disciple, to, to help these, these um, people that respond to the gospel through this outreach. But we want to be a part of funding that important outreach to get the message of the gospel on national television throughout Turkey over Easter weekend. So at the end of the service today... After the communion um, service, we will pass out the offering plates, and that's what that offering will go to. So I want to give you time now to think about and pray about how you would give towards that need. Um, now, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2, and we'll continue walking in wisdom together. A couple of years ago, a church member gave me a book the title of it was Mission at Nuremberg. The focus of the book was, it was essentially a memoir of a Lutheran chaplain, a Lutheran pastor who became an army chaplain at the Nuremberg trials, where Nazi war criminals were put on trial at an international court for the crimes that they had committed against Jews and against humanity. It was a fascinating read. It was a terrifying read. And as you read through the stories of this, this young man, this young minister, walking into these jail cells to minister to these high-level leaders within the German army who had participated knowingly in these great atrocities and war crimes, the scariest part about it is the humanity of it. The scariest part about it is that as the man walks into these cells and interacts with these people, he doesn't meet monsters. He doesn't meet callous, hateful people. He meets sinful, 
flawed human beings. And that's actually scarier. Because the great atrocities that, that took place under their watch, under their complacency in a lot of ways. Just a few people were, were exceedingly evil and, and led the way, and there's a whole bunch of other people that just looked the other way. They weren't looking to charge that way. They weren't looking to go into that level of, of evil and depravity, but they just looked the other way. And they just went along with what the, the commanding officers were saying. They went along with what everybody else was doing. They got caught up in the moment. They got their brains washed into this feeling of superiority and the feeling of, of worthlessness of the other person. And all of a sudden, what wasn't hate but was just really complacency turned into this incredible evil, these dark, dark atrocities. And as you read the stories of this minister that tries to care for these men, that tries to preach the gospel to these men whose souls were so corrupted by this great evil, what you are left with is a great challenge, not of the great depravity and evil of these men that committed these atrocities, of the great humanity and how easy it is to just drift into such great sinfulness, such great evil beyond what we can imagine. You know, the challenge of the book of Proverbs is that it is complacency that is the problem. It's not, Proverbs is not warning you against this great evil so much as it's warning you that complacency allows you to tolerate great evil. See, the audience of Proverbs, us, or the young man in Proverbs 1 through 9, is not being warned against, don't do these heinous evil things. Really what's happening is he's saying, don't tolerate, don't look the other way. Don't become complacent or else you too might be pulled along without even knowing how wrapped up you can get in great evil. The message of Proverbs is that complacency kills, that drift destroys. That if you're not actively moving in the right direction towards Christ, towards growth, towards wisdom, then you are actively moving away from Christ into folly, into wickedness, and into evil. And so, we'll look at Proverbs chapter 2 and see the wisdom about how we are to change. That's the message for today, the process of change. And I'm going to give you the process of change in Proverbs 2 in three steps. Three steps to renewal. Openness, transformation, and then protection. We don't often think of protection as a step to renewal. But the goal for us, okay, as we walk into this old covenant book of wisdom, the goal for us is to learn from this wise sage, Solomon, who is speaking to his son and trying to disciple his son in the way of wisdom. The goal for us is to learn from Solomon, to sit in the seat of his son, and to learn how we are to change and be renewed. And in the book of Proverbs, the agent of renewal is wisdom. 
But we know that this is God's wisdom. And we know as, as new covenant believers who have received a life through Jesus, we know that we can look into Proverbs 2 and see that what's actively happening is that Solomon is pointing us towards Jesus in ways he does not even imagine at the time. So God, the Holy Spirit, is authoring the book of Proverbs to give us this message saying, pursue wisdom in Jesus, the wonderful counselor who has come to save us and lead us. And so we'll walk through these steps, openness, transformation, and protection. We'll start, of course, in Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search it and search for it as for treasures. So this is the opening up of this whole process, the progress of openness to change, openness to the gospel. Here's here's a simple statement that everybody should know and recognize, and yet sometimes we just miss this fact. If you want to change, you have to be open to change. That's a starting point here. I've said it each week that we've looked at the book of Proverbs. If you want the book of Proverbs to affect you at all, you have to be okay with with recognizing that you're simple-minded. You have to just become resolute to the fact that you are simple-minded, that you do not have the information necessary to live a healthy and profitable life as you are right now, okay? If you had everything figured out, then you would not need the book of Proverbs. You would not need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You would not need Jesus to come and die for you and save you and renew you. So we've got to be okay with being simple-minded, and then the book of Proverbs has something to say to us to renew us. But here's the progress in verses 1 through 4. In verse 1, he says, My son, receive my words. And then he says, Treasure up my commandments. So you first receive, and then you treasure. You make yourself, you make your ear attentive to wisdom. You incline your heart to understanding. You call out for insight. You raise your voice for understanding. And you seek In verse 4, you seek wisdom like silver. You search for it as hidden treasures. So you have this progress moving from passive to active. At the beginning of verse 1 there, you're just passively receiving something. And as you passively receive, you then begin to treasure what you have received. And then the more you receive it and you treasure it, the more you're you're attentive, that you, you need more direction You need more ongoing renewal. And so then you incline your heart. You incline your ear. You call out, I need need more. You raise your voice. And then you start seeking for more growth. You start searching. You see how there's a progress here. But you don't begin with the seeking and searching. You begin with the receiving. And you move towards seeking and searching. What is interesting here is that God is the one that is acting first in the transmission of wisdom to us. The picture in Proverbs 2 is of wisdom, of God reaching out to give wisdom to his people who are simple-minded, who, who, are, who are 
unaware of how to live a healthy and profitable life on their own, unaware of the right decisions to make, the right path to walk on. And so God reaches out, and the call of wisdom is just receive wisdom. It doesn't start with seek out wisdom. It doesn't start with search for wisdom. But there's a progression where God acts first. And in the same way, God is the initiator of our own salvation. That God in his spirit reaches down to sinners and dead sinners are saved, not because dead sinners are seeking God, but because God is seeking dead sinners to raise up to newness of life. And then we are brought, we are renewed, we are brought to life, and then we can seek. It is important for us to seek the things that are above, for us to seek the things of God. But first we have to receive. We have to be somewhat passive in allowing the Spirit of God to move in us, to change us and renew us. And then, and only then, can we actually respond in seeking and pursuing Him. So get that right. We don't gain wisdom, and nor do we gain salvation through our pursuits, through our efforts, through our great accomplishments. We receive wisdom, we receive salvation the same way, by but just receiving the free gift that God gives. Responding to the free gift in seeking and searching in pursuing our own growth so that we can be renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that our goal is to be renewed day by day. And so we think of salvation sometimes too simplistically. And don't get me wrong here, listen carefully. Renewal is a, a one-time action where, where the Spirit of God comes into the life of a sinner and makes a sinner new. And yet there is a process and a progress of ongoing renewal where we are renewed day by day and we are more and more sanctified, made more holy, or we are more and more conformed into the image of Christ. There's a process there. There is growth. And so we need not think that this is just a one-time thing, and once you got your eternal fire insurance, then you're good to go. The path of wisdom says, don't just start on the path. Continue on the path. Pursue the path. Grow, learn, follow, stay on the trail, because it is easy to drift. Once you become complacent about your path in life, it's easy to drift and fall off of the path. But the first step to being renewed is to be open to change. So that's our question for this morning. Are you open to change? When you examine your life right now, are you comfortable with where you are? Or do you recognize something's got to give here? You know, this is why God allows crises in our lives many times. Because it requires a crisis. For many of us, for hard-headed people like us, it requires a crisis to shake us, to wake us up, and convince us, no, you can't stay where you are. You've got to change. And so does God need to send you a crisis? Are you, in, are you inclining your ear right now? Are you making your heart attentive right now to hear from the Lord, to say, no, this, this thing in your life, this thing that you're protecting in your heart, this action, this behavior, this attitude, it needs to change.
I believe God is calling every single one of us to ongoing change, to ongoing renewal, which means that every one of us needs to examine our hearts and say, God, what is it about me that is changing this morning? What is it about me that you are seeking to change and, and renew and restore right now through your word? You get stuck and you stay stuck because you're not open and you're not recognizing your need to change. The hardest person to teach wisdom to is the person that thinks they have it all figured out. That is the foolish person in the book of Proverbs. The person that thinks they don't need advice, they don't need direction, they've got it all figured out on their own. The transformation begins to happen in verse 5 here. So first we have the openness, receive, treasure, make attentive, incline, call, raise, seek, search. And then in verse 5 you have the process of transformation. Then, okay, so remember, we started with if in verse 1. We have a couple of ifs in verses 1 through 4, but really, if in verse 1, then in verse 5. So if you will do all these things, then in verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be, pre- will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. As we look at these verses, 5 through 11, we see a process of transformation. And the process goes like this. You will understand, in verse 5. You will find knowledge, in verse 5. You will get wisdom, in verse 6. Knowledge and understanding, in verse 6. And then down, in verse 8, the paths of justice. Verse 9, righteousness and justice and equity, you will understand. And so I'm going to give you the understanding of this transformation in three ways here. You have a new knowledge, you have a new skill, and then you have new character. Wisdom is not knowledge, but wisdom is not divorced from knowledge. Wisdom requires you to know some level of information, but knowledge is less than wisdom. Wisdom includes knowledge, but is more than, than knowledge. It goes beyond knowledge. But you do start with knowledge. If you open yourself up to change, Solomon says here, then you will gain a greater understanding. What do you understand? Verse 5, the fear of the Lord. You understand why it's important to recognize the holiness of God and the brokenness of you. Think about that as your definition for the fear of the Lord. Recognizing the holiness of God and the brokenness of you. Recognizing just how great the chasm is between God and his righteousness and you and your sin. And then, as you understand the holiness of God and the brokenness of you, you find greater knowledge of God. Not just knowledge about God, but knowledge of the person of God. Personal knowledge. Where you grow in relationship, and you grow in your commitment, you grow in your love and relationship to Him. So that new understanding, that new knowledge, is, is, this, is an important informational transfer of growth. So if we are going to disciple people, As we say, we are discipling these kids right now 
through partnering. We want parents, you to disciple your kids, but we want to partner with you by sending them upstairs to age-appropriate classes to teach them the Word of God at a different level than the level that I teach in here and, so, and make it more practical, impactful for them, and connect with young minds, okay? That's important. And part of that is knowledge. Part of that is growth in knowledge, understanding more information. This is a worldview component, understanding the world to a greater degree through the lens of Scripture. We need to be able to look at the world out there and say it's not as it should be. God created a perfect world. Sin corrupted the world. And I need to be able to discern where sin has corrupted the world and where the world is good and still reflecting God's good creation. There's still great beauty in the world, right? There's still great beauty in God's created order. And yet there's great brokenness because of man's sin. So understanding that and understanding what we receive and celebrate out of the world we see out there and what we reject and, and, and we try to correct in culture out there. We need knowledge. But the application of knowledge is skill, is wisdom. And the words used for this in this passage are wisdom and uh, discretion. Verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. Verse 11, discretion watches over you. And so knowledge is the informational component. Uh, skill is the wisdom component. This is how we learn to live in the world through the application of Scripture. One author um, writing on Proverbs, as I was reading this week, he called Proverbs, or he, called, he defined wisdom this way. Life lived with boldness in spite of inevitable difficulties. Life lived with boldness in spite of inevitable difficulties. Here's the skill of wisdom. Not that wisdom protects you, protects you against all crisis. Not that wisdom keeps you from experiencing negative repercussions. But rather, wisdom does give you the skill to keep from some negative repercussions. But wisdom also gives you the skill to navigate within those crises, within those negative repercussions. Because here's the reality of wisdom. We live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. So we cannot, there is no answer. I'm sorry if you came here for an answer to how to live a perfect life and avoid every crisis. You're not going to find that here, okay? But you are going to find a way, a path through Scripture and through the Holy Spirit to navigate a life full of crisis, to survive in crisis. That's what wisdom's about. Avoid self-inflicted crises, for sure. Wisdom teaches you how to do that. But just because you can avoid some self-inflicted crises doesn't mean you can avoid all those other world-inflicted crises, right? There's plenty of crises that happen all around us that are not our own cause. And so wisdom equips us to avoid some crises and also to have the skill of living within the crisis. Wisdom protects us against destruction, not crisis. Wisdom protects us against, against the, the complete dismay at a problematic world. But wisdom does not, does not protect us from all suffering and all trial. Then there's a character component. This is captured by the words righteousness and justice in this passage. Look at verse 9. One of the results, the result in verse 9, is you will understand righteousness and justice. 
The word here is really integrity. Knowing the right thing to do and doing it. See, wisdom encompasses all of these things. Skill is probably the best application of wisdom, but wisdom involves knowledge of a situation, skill of what to do in a situation, and character that defines who you are in a situation, who you are in a crisis. Let me tell you one of my most proud moments as a parent. Um, You know, at my kids' elementary school, they have these things. um, They have student of the month, okay? And every... Every classroom, every homeroom has a student of the month every month. One of the things they seek to do, though, is they seek to emphasize different character traits, different um, virtues within the classroom. And so they'll have these lists of virtues at the beginning of the year, and every month they'll emphasize a different one. Uh, Honesty, uh, hard work, courage, whatever it is. And as you go through the month, teachers will watch. I don't know how much every teacher watches, but teachers watch and think, okay, so who's the student in my class that that manifests honesty, that manifests kindness, that, that manifests hard work this week? And every month, one student from every classroom gets chosen. And so all three of my kids have gotten student a month at, at different times. Um, but last year, it was really fun. Because, uh, and we don't know about this ahead of time. They just, they come home from school, we pick them up, and they're like, hey, I got student of the month. It's really cool. They're really excited. And last year, we had this day where Karis and Jericho both, the two youngest, they got the student of the month the same day, the same month. And what was, what was especially cool, and this was something to celebrate Jericho for, is Jericho somehow got the same student of the month got it for the same trait in first grade that he did in kindergarten, for integrity. And I said, you know what, Jericho, let me tell you something. Some of this, I don't know how it works. I don't know how aware your teachers are. I don't know how how organized this whole system is. And some of it is a little bit random, I think. But when you get the same character trait two years in a row, and they look around the classroom, and they see integrity, out of, out of you, and, and well, who's integrity? Who, who's practicing integrity in the kindergarten classroom? Who's practicing integrity in the first grade classroom? And when the same student gets integrity both years in a row, I said, Jericho, that's really cool. That means that is what is true of you. And let me tell you something. He's not listening to this. I might get in trouble for this anyway. Jericho is not the easiest student to teach in a classroom. He's a little bit wiggly. He, he talks a lot, I mean a whole lot. But what does that say to us as a parent? When you know, like, this is a kid that you got to stay on a little bit. you you gotta, you got to kind of keep him under control a little bit. But what his teachers saw from him two years in a row is that is a kid that has character. That is a kid that is practicing integrity. And Karis, too, the fact that we had two in our household the same month was really, really cool. Because out of all of those things, integrity is the all-encompassing virtue. Integrity is the behind-closed-doors virtue. Integrity is character that says who you really are when the teacher's not looking, when mom and dad aren't watching, which is what we as parents are most concerned about, right? Because they're not going to be in our house forever. So what you as a parent need to be most concerned about is not what they say to your face or what they do in front of you, but what happens when you're gone. What happens when they they move out of the house. That's where integrity really, really shines. 
And so the progress of transformation here that, that, the, uh, that the wise sage Solomon is giving to his son and now giving to us by the Spirit of God 2,000 years later, he is saying that in order to transform, you need new information. You need new wisdom and skill to know how to apply that information to the challenges of your life. And if you're going to do it consistently, you need new character. And you need, ultimately, a new heart. You need Christ to save you and renew you. Now, we go on to the protection of wisdom. The progress goes. You're open to change. And then there's this progress of transformation. And then the rest of this passage, and there's a, the majority of teaching in this passage is speaking about how wisdom protects you. Wisdom guards you. Wisdom shields you. Think about that. If we say that wisdom does not protect us from all crises, but wisdom rather equips us to navigate crisis, those are very different things. And if wisdom equips us to navigate crisis, wisdom also protects us within those crises. As we learn how to survive a life in a sinful world, a life of great destruction and evil and wickedness. This is why we need wisdom, to just survive and navigate the challenges ahead. So we'll pick up again in verse 11 and go through the end of the chapter now in verse 22. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So here's the effect of wisdom on us. We see this, and really we could go back to verse 7 to see the protective effect of of wisdom. If you look at verse 7 real quickly, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. He guards the paths of justice in verse 8. He watches over the way of his saints. So from verse 7 through the end of the chapter, we see the protections of wisdom. Wisdom is a storehouse for us. Wisdom is a shield for us. Wisdom is a guard for us. Wisdom is a watchman that watches over us. And wisdom is ultimately a deliverer for us. So all these, what is a proverb again? A proverb is a word picture that projects to you a probability of life. And so here are the words, here are the pictures that, that when you run out of, of capacity in life, God has a great storehouse of wisdom that is equipped with all of the wisdom you need. You need only ask, and God freely gives the wisdom that you need from his, from his overflowing storehouse. When you feel attacked by the darts of the enemy, wisdom presents a shield to, to quench the darts of the evil one. Wisdom guards you against any and every attack that, that wicked men might give to you. 
wisdom watches over you as you you are struggling through the difficult decisions of of a life in a sinful world, the difficult decisions of a a messed-up family, a complicated career, a difficult work environment, a stressful school environment, all of those things, wisdom watches over you to protect you. And wisdom delivers you. Verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. And so there are two applications. So those are the, that's the protection that wisdom gives. And then there's two categories of evil that are highlighted in this passage. Evil men in verses 13 through 15, and the forbidden woman in verses 16 through 19. Verses 13 through 15, we see that evil men forsake the paths of righteousness. They walk in ways of darkness. They rejoice in doing evil. They delight in perverseness of evil. They are men whose paths are crooked, and they are devious in all of their ways. Six characteristics of the evil men in verses 13 through 15 that shows the great evil. And remember, the warning is not, hey, don't be evil. The warning is don't miss a step on the path, or then you'll become complacent towards evil, and then you will drift. And one day you'll look up and you'll say, how in the world did I get here? All of a sudden, I'm numbered among the evildoers, but I never made that decision. I never made the decision to become evil. I, I, the, the, the mission at Nuremberg book, those men, they didn't make a decision to just become war criminals. They didn't make, ever make a decision to commit genocide. They didn't make a decision to become evil. They just made a decision not to stop what was happening, or they, they made a decision to just go along with what everybody else was doing. And all of a sudden, they looked back years later and they said, what have we done? The risk is not choosing evil. The risk is drift. The risk is complacency. The risk is not responding in love to God and out of love for God, choosing wisdom, choosing character and love for others. The risk is drift. So we have the evil men who forsake the paths of righteousness, walk in darkness. But then you have in verses 16 through 19, the forbidden woman. And remember, there's a contrast throughout, especially these first nine chapters, but really the whole book of Proverbs, between the lady wisdom, the path of wisdom that is maturity and wise, and the path of sin that is depicted as an adulterous woman, as a forbidden woman. This is because it's written to a young man saying, Young men are interested in women. They want to choose a good woman or a bad woman. Choose the way of wisdom, which is personified as a woman, as opposed to the way of evil, which is personified as a wicked woman. The description of the forbidden woman in this passage, smooth words, forsakes the companion of her youth. So this woman is clearly unfaithful. Why would you go after a woman that has clearly demonstrated herself as unfaithful? The woman forgets the covenant of her God. Her house is literally sinking to death is the image here. You, you walk into her house, and it's built on sinking sand, and, and the direction of the sink is towards death. Her paths lead to death, and once you walk into that home, and once you embrace this woman, there is no coming back. This is the great warning of pursuing the forbidden woman, of pursuing evil. And so that's what you're protected against, evil men and the forbidden woman. That's what those storehouses are for. 
That's what the shield is for. That's what the guard is for. That's what the watchman is for. And so let's say you're a parent, and your kid's going off to college soon, and you're thinking through, how do I equip that, that child at the last minute? How, how do I, I'm at the 11th hour now. What do, I, what do I do now? What you're trying to instill into that young person is the way of wisdom, is, is not just knowledge of God, but application of the knowledge of God in a complicated world. How do I love Christ within a, a world of great sin? And so that's what, we're, that's what we're pursuing in the book of Proverbs. How do I pursue Christ when men are devious in their ways? How do I pursue righteousness when sometimes there are things out there in the world that look really good, and yet they're evil and they're decaying below the surface? And then the result here in verse 20 and 22. Your new life in Christ looks like this. You will walk in the way of the good. You will keep to the paths of the righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land. Those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So three aspects of your new life with Christ. You walk in good. Those, those that are in the light walk in the light. You keep the paths of the righteous. You surround yourselves with other righteous people, and you keep walking in righteousness, and you stay on the path of the righteous, and you inhabit God's promise. As we prepare for the table here, we recognize that God's promise is sealed with the Holy Spirit, is accomplished through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the bread of, of the body of Christ and the juice of the blood of Christ are great emblems for us, symbols for us of the grace of God and the beauty of Christ's sacrifice of becoming a man, dying, being tortured, suffering for us so that we might then have new life in him. There's a beautiful picture and a beautiful truth here. And picture and truth in Proverbs is inhabiting the land. You know, we as non-Jews may lose the significance of what happens when the Old Covenant says, speaks of the great promise of inhabiting the land. But to inhabit the land is to receive the ultimate promise of God. And you know, we as Christians, as New Covenant believers, we inhabit the land by receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit for us, present with us. And, and when the Holy Spirit is present with us, we don't have to go back to those old paths. We don't have to go back to those old sinful ways. We can actually live in newness, keep on the paths of righteousness because the Spirit seals us. The Spirit connects us to God in all ways. The Spirit has inflamed us, brought us to newness of life, and now he is present with us. But as we think about these elements, have you truly left the path of wickedness, left the path of sinfulness, left the path of foolishness to say, my sin has taken me off the path. Jesus, I need you, and I need your broken body. I need your shed blood. I need your righteousness because I can't do it on my own. That's the path. That's the path towards righteousness.
So I'm going to have us close this way. A few key steps. First, you open yourself to change. Again, if you don't know that you need to change, you will not change. If you're not open to exterior change, you will not change. If you're not open to exterior wisdom, if you think you have life figured out on your own, if you think you're doing just fine, then you will not change. So open yourself to change first. Then grow in knowledge. Build knowledge. Learn about Jesus. Learn about the Word. Go to the Word. Go to a class. Go to a small group. Go to church. Learn. Grow to understand God more. But then build the skill. Don't take what you're learning and just think it's this intellectual exercise that you just now have more information about God, but seek to apply. And so when the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, I don't know, do it. Love somebody. When Jesus says, I didn't come to to be served, but to serve, and you're called to follow Jesus, then maybe you should serve. When, When Scripture says, make disciples, then maybe you should make disciples. And seek to, to, to grow in skill by doing what the scripture says. Loving others, reaching out to others, serving others, inviting others into your life, into your church, into your community, in love and relationship. Build character. Recognize that God's greatest, greatest desire for us is our salvation. And God's greatest desire for our growth is growth in character that we would look more like Jesus. That's what he wants us to look like. We've already received the righteousness of Christ, so just pursue the righteousness that you've received. And trust. Because as I said, you are not going to be insulated from all crises in this life. It's just not going to happen. You're going to continue to face crises. You're going to continue to face trauma and suffering and trials. But as you do, Trust that wisdom guides you, that Christ guides you, and the Spirit fills you. I'm going to ask those that are serving communion to come forward. As we look at this table, we see both the body of Christ and the blood of Christ represented here for us. We see the great privilege that we have. And so I'd encourage you to to now... Begin to prepare your heart, because here's, here's how we do it, okay? We're going to have, yeah, four on this side and four on this side. As we pass out the elements, we're going to pass out the bread first, and then we're going to pr- pass out the juice. The band's going to be playing the whole time, and we can worship and sing along with them as you receive the elements as they come um, down your row, but they're going to... They're going to pass out the bread, then they're going to come back, and we're going to pass out the juice, and you're going to hold them both. And at the end of the song, we're going to receive it together, first the bread and then the juice. But as we receive them, we're going to receive them as new creations in Christ. So now is your, next, is your last few minutes to do business with Jesus before receiving his broken body and his shed blood. Now this is, is intended for believers, for people that have confessed their sins, responded to Jesus for salvation, and said, I need Jesus to save me from my sin. So I'd encourage you not to do it if you are unconvinced. But if you're convinced that you have a need, you need your sin atoned for, 
then receive it in great fellowship with Christ and commit your life to him. So ponder those words. Ponder the next step of wisdom for you as we sing.
body of Christ that was broken for us, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We do this in remembrance of him. And now take the cup. Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no payment for sin. So this is the blood of the covenant. Jesus' blood, once and for all, poured out as a sacrifice for our sins. We do this in remembrance of him. Amen. Now, as we who have received much we now respond in giving. And I'll remind you that this offering is intended specifically towards funding an evangelistic outreach in the nation of Turkey over Easter weekend in partnership with the Jesus Film Project. So I'll pray for the offering. Father, I thank you for the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the empty tomb, Jesus, I thank you for allowing your body to be broken, allowing your blood to be shed. And so, Father, we come before you now, broken but renewed, humbled and restored, at once sinners and yet declared righteous. We praise you for that. So, Father, we know now that there are many around the world that need that grace, need that gospel. So God, in humility, we ask that you would use this offering to fund the presentation of the gospel in a nation that needs you. Father, restore people to yourself. Inflame hearts and minds to follow you. Bless us, direct us as we give. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. can wash away my sin. 
by the new covenant sacrifice of Christ's blood, we now, in freedom, receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.